0: This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. The new year is upon us. The 2023 Summit season is just around the corner. And first up, it's the Marketing and Communications Summit, the preeminent gathering place of marketing, communications, and PR professionals dedicated to helping DMOs thrive. This year's Summit will challenge you to think about your role within your organization as communities tackle new and diverse issues. Topics include social media and blog content strategy creation, building creative environments for your agencies and staff, working with freelancers and influencers, and developing your optimal technology resource toolbox and using real-time data to influence destination stewardship and management. It's the Marketing and Communications Summit February 13 through 15 in one of my favorite towns, Norfolk, Virginia. For more information and to register, go to destinationsinternational.com upcoming hyphen events. For more, go to destinationsinternational.org. And now, it's on to our show. Brian Tony is the Good Neighbor Initiative Project Manager for 24 Hour Dallas, a nonprofit founded in 2020, whose mission is to make Dallas safer, more inclusive, and more vibrant at night. In this role, he handles the organization's day-to-day and night-to-night activities, organizes the members and volunteers, and liaises with the City of Dallas and nighttime establishments. His previous work experiences include working in the education and workforce development of the Dallas Regional Chamber, serving as director of public policy at the Real Estate Council, and consulting political campaigns. Brian holds a master's of public administration with an emphasis in urban nonprofit agency management from UT Arlington, and dual bachelor degrees in political science and economics from Texas Christian University. Brian Tony, welcome to DMOU.
1: Thank you, Bill, and, and go Frogs. We're playing in the uh, New Year's Eve Fiesta Bowl, so how to put you in there?
0: I was just going to
1: congratulate you.
0: That has got to be just the coolest thing for a school like TCU to make that Final Four.
1: I mean, what does it feel like as an alum? It's super exciting. Uh, the last time I think TCU was in this position was the Rose Bowl back in 2011 maybe, and after yeah. that point, uh, it really put TCU on another profile, another level. Applications went up, academic – Standards went up, and I think we've continued to build a good program and and bring a lot of positive attention to Fort Worth, Texas, which isn't uh, far from where I live now in Dallas, of course. Isn't that funny, though, that there are those who will
0: attack college sports as superfluous and way too much money, and it's just, you know, it's this big business and it takes away from education and all the things that a university stands for. And yet, in my experience, when I arrived in Madison, We had a chancellor at the university who had Mm -hmm. just come in and who had identified the biggest issue of her term, and that was that, honestly, contributions to the legacy fund of the university were at an all-time low, and she identified why that was, and it's because at the time, the University of Wisconsin lost at everything except hockey.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, we were the doormat of the Big Ten in basketball and football, and she says, If I can fix that, and she did, then (laughs) all of the donations start to flow, and they did. And so isn't it amazing what sports does to a university? Just crazy. It's super exciting. Yeah. So to the uh, topic at hand, 24-Hour Dallas, I heard about this at Destinations International's Advocacy Summit a few months ago, and I reached out to get a better handle on what this is all about because... You know, in the ecosystem of a community's economy, commerce and life after dark has, in my mind, always been an afterthought. And for some governments viewed as not an opportunity, but a challenge. Because as my dad used to say, when I wanted to stay out late, nothing good happens after midnight. Of course, some of the Mm -hmm. best moments of my life have occurred after midnight. But for a nighttime economy to flourish, it needs to be recognized and supported. And that's just what, 24-Hour Dallas has set out to do. So share with us, if you will, the genesis story of 24-Hour Dallas. Tell us how you put together such an amazing board of community leaders to lead this team.
1: Absolutely. No, thank you again. I'm excited to share the story of 24-Hour Dallas. It actually predates my tenure. A few years, our founder, Randall White, worked for the Texas Restaurant Association. And back in 2015, uh, we were seeing some of that kind of heavy-handedness by the city of Dallas and not really understanding, you know, what is the actual value through tax revenue, through through jobs, through people who prefer to work non-traditional hours. And uh, we're coming down with a, a late night overlay in one of our entertainment areas of uptown Dallas. And so it, it took a rallying cry, uh, what they called then Save the Patio, to kind of stymie that effort and say, you know, there are real challenges that noise and and, and crime might be more prevalent uh, on the surface level, one would think, that needs some attention. But we shouldn't just you know throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to actually, as a city, do what we can to support these businesses first, give them what they need to be successful uh, before going to an enforcement mechanism or, or measure like was being proposed then. So Randall and, and some others went down to Sydney, Australia, where they uh, learned about what other cities around the world are doing to support their nighttime economies, certainly from Europe to Asia and, and Sydney, where they were doing some lockdown laws and, and closing places early. It wrecked their economy in Australia when they did that. They didn't realize you know, how much of their economy really relied on the 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. portion of, of the day and the 24 hours that the night includes. So, We've been able to, since then, in in 2020, form our own 501c3 uh, nonprofit, uh, attract members from uh, different places like events and tourism and and conventions to music venues, uh, art galleries. Of course, you have your your bars and and your clubs, but we also have hospital workers. We have logistics centers uh, that are all operating 24-7. So, when those folks want to move around town, when they want to get a bite to eat, go to the pharmacy, what options do they have at night? And that's what we've really been focusing uh, our time and attention on is is getting the city of Dallas to understand that, you know, we can't just put our heads in the sand and, and pretend that, you know, the nighttime isn't unique or it doesn't need any any as much care as the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. time frame does. So. Uh, like you said, it's it's been uh, neglected for some time. And I think the United States is, is starting to really make some great strides from East Coast to the West Coast and creating offices of nightlife or offices of the nighttime economy to focus on after hours.
0: And with all due respect to those who put themselves into public office, you know, they don't understand the way an economy works. But if you just break it down as you just did. I mean, how much spending, discretionary spending happens between 6A and 6P mm-hmm. as opposed to 6P and 6A? I mean, most of us are at work for the majority of 6A to 6P right. and can't be outside of maybe grabbing lunch, spend an awful lot of money during that period of time. It's always been that kind of a, an issue for me when, you know, visitor centers are open from, you know, 10 to 4. Okay, well, (laughs) that's not really when I need information about where I am. It's usually going to be in the early evening hours when I'm looking for something to do. So it is a huge part of the economy. And I've heard some statistics that, you know, well over half of all economy happens after 5 p.m. So you're absolutely on the right track. And something I think that every one of our destinations needs to focus on with a lot more verve, is that nighttime economy. So I love your vision plan that says the nighttime is for everyone. Now, your initial strategic plan identified six primary issues, which you're attacking, but the one that really stands out is the Good Neighbor Initiative that has really moved the nighttime economy forward. So tell us what that is. What is the Good Neighbor Initiative all about?
1: Absolutely. The Good Neighbor Initiative took off in December of 2021, so we're just now approaching our one-year mark uh, and have a lot of great outcomes that we can discuss a little bit later. It itself began with some consultation and some national support from Pernod Ricard USA, uh, which is one of the second largest in the world uh, alcohol distillers and and purveyors. Uh, They are a member of a group called Responsibility.org, which is a coalition of groups uh, like Pernod Car USA and businesses uh, who are committed to stopping impaired driving to reducing underage drinking and promote responsible alcohol service and another consulting firm called safe night LLC that's based in in Northern Virginia who've been our partners essentially in in consulting and developing the good neighbor initiative so I just wanted to take a moment to thank them for their support the good neighbor initiative itself has six pillars the first of which i'll talk about is called our safe night out this is our comprehensive uh, nighttime management model uh, where we're trying to build more mutually beneficial relationships between our agencies at the city level even our texas alcoholic beverage commission and those establishments that are operating in 6 p.m and 6 a.m sometimes that trust just simply doesn't exist Sometimes. You know, you're in the heat of the moment and, and there's a fire marshal telling you that you have to reduce your capacity all of a sudden, or co-compliance has to tell you to, to turn the music down uh, a little bit, but you don't necessarily know what that standard is. What's that decibel level that you know we're being held re- responsible to or, or for account? Or how can a fire marshal you know do this in a, in a nice way or, or make sure that they actually know the, the business owner on a first name basis? Simple things like that go a long way and supporting our nighttime economy and, and our businesses. So we've been lucky to hold a few clubs, pubs, and bars uh, meetings, what we call quarterly. And we have some more two-way dialogue in an informal setting, uh, which are you know crucial uh, to finding solutions. We've also held some active shooter trainings. We held a inclusivity training most recently. Uh, we're looking at doing door security and de-escalation, just trainings at 24-Hour Dallas as a you know, purely nonprofit, private membership organization is doing a service, I think, to the city and, and our businesses, and, and hopefully, and we expect the city to come along uh, with the hiring of a full-time nighttime economy manager. Uh, they'll be able to start taking on some of these initiatives that we've been putting forward. But we stress proactivity. Uh, we think that's the best way to avoid major issues and really prepare ourselves for for anything that might happen late at night. So that's the first pillar, a safe night out. Mm -hmm. The second pillar, I think, that's very public-facing is known as our Copper Star Certification Program. This borrows from a few different programs, the Purple Flag in the United Kingdom, Safe Bar None in Canada, as well as an Arlington Restaurant Initiative in in Virginia, uh, where we have a workbook that we provide our businesses. And it's broken into four categories, safety, operations, community relations, and having a welcoming environment. And their best practices and international standards that we would hope all of our businesses who've answered the call, which our first year 44 businesses did. Cool. They became copper star certified. So now they have a, a medallion that is displayed at their establishment. Uh, that shows exactly how they've they 've gone above and beyond uh, to be one of the most safe, inclusive, and, and vibrant contributing businesses to dallas 's nighttime economy so that 's been a great training program to get off the ground and we 're actually going to open up uh, recruitment for our, our new class here in, in January, but got our first ones under our belt uh, we 're excited to to see how it grows from here and, and it received recognition from our city manager when we did our big award ceremony. Uh, in August, City Manager T.C. Broadnax of Dallas came out and spoke. So we are getting that traction and and the city uh, sees the work that we're doing and I think is very appreciative of that. Third pillar that I'll mention real quickly, we have our Every Voice program. This is a respect and inclusion initiative where we're uh, making sure that people, uh, entrepreneurs from all different backgrounds have access to different tools and resources to be successful. That's been a successful Module And we're doing some digital webinars for that. I did want to mention our Women Unite event. Women's safety is our our fourth pillar. We held a 300 to 400, uh, what we called then a a girls night out in March 8th of 2022, International Women's Day. We'll bring it back again this year, uh, where we launch our women's safety charter. So we've put together a charter, which you can find on our website, 24hourdallas.org that businesses can sign to demonstrate their commitment to women's safety, that they have a staff person designated to looking out for women, both patrons and staff late at night, that they have policies and procedures in place internally to address uh, issues around sexual harassment or how to be an active bystander. They train on this with their staffs. Uh, So we're making women's safety a big priority. Uh, And then fifth and sixth, we are a member of the North Texas Coalition Against Human Trafficking, Uh, we provide some signage and training for how to spot trafficking, both labor and sex trafficking, and then what businesses can do to call the proper authorities and, and handle those situations. And then finally, we have our Sidewalk Ambassador Program, where we're actually hoping to have folks out there in like neon vests that are just handing out bottles of water, helping people get their phones charged swapping out heels for a pair of sandals that are more comfortable, reconnecting with their friends. Uh, We're looking at trying to launch that in some of our entertainment areas, but it takes a little bit more time to coordinate with our public safety agencies. So more to come on that. But I think in our first year, it's been extremely successful and and we're excited um, that the Good Neighbor Initiative will continue on uh, into the next year. That's great.
0: So earlier this month,
1: you released your
0: first-year outcomes for the Good Neighbor Initiative. So give us the high points and what we can look for
1: from 24-Hour Dallas in the coming years. In the beginning, uh, with our Compass Star certification, we had over 100 businesses raise their hand and say that they wanted to be a part of this program. It's not an easy program. We understand that there's a lot of time constraints, and it was our first year rolling it out. So we had 44 businesses actually complete the program, representing 50 locations uh, across Dallas. We had a score of 96.4% of those businesses said that they would recommend it to their peers. Wow! Uh, we gave it four and a half out of five stars. And uh, we handed out $500 micro grants to each of these as a, as a reward uh, to those businesses. So even that little carrot can be helpful to a business that's trying to make ends meet. And to your point, not to
0: interrupt, but to your point that it, it, it's rigorous, mm-hmm. it's, it's not easy to achieve, but it shouldn't be. Right. I mean, if this is going to mean something, it needs to have some serious weight behind it and that you got almost half of the people who initially said they were interested. It's pretty sensational.
1: Thank you very much. We definitely will do our best to to make tweaks to the program. We we did a survey with their feedback and to improve it, we'll get everything on the calendar earlier this year so that they know exactly what to expect going in and fully expect us to get another 100 to sign up. Businesses want to be recognized for being a good actor for, for doing things the right way. And I think that's the majority, overwhelming majority of our businesses are, are like that. So this gives them an opportunity to really demonstrate that uh, to their customers, to their staff, hopefully it, it leads to lower liability, lower legal risks. They get greater exposure and status and these training and opportunities and, and networking that we're providing uh, with the city and amongst each other. Uh, is hugely beneficial in my opinion. And, you know,
0: from a visitor standpoint, for those visitors that are utilizing and interacting with Visit Dallas in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. you know, I come to town for the first time and I really don't know Dallas. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what neighborhoods are the right neighborhoods, where I want to go for nightlife. I would think that if promoted correctly through Visit Dallas, this is really going to benefit those businesses that have gotten the star, because if I'm looking at three clubs and I see one has a star and the other two don't, I'm probably going to go to the star unless I you know, really need to see that band or, or that experience. It's that last tipping mm-hmm. the domino that says, OK, I'm, I'm doing that one, because if I don't know the city,
1: I need some guidance and the star can do that. Absolutely. yeah. We want it to be that shining example. I hope uh, Gary Sanchez, our, our board member from Visit Dallas, is listening. Right, And uh, we'll make that happen. We'll get it online for Visit Dallas' webpage. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else that we
0: can look forward to? I mean, what's next? I mean, you had those six pillars of the Good Neighbor Initiative, but you also had six major goals in the strategic master plan for the organization. What else do we think we'll see in the coming years?
1: Uh, so we're going to continue to make some public training opportunities available to uh, our businesses here, were, we've already gotten like news coverage in, in CBS 11 and KERA for the active shooter training, for inclusivity. Uh, we'll do that door security and, and de-escalation training in April. We'll have one with TABC over the summer with responsible alcohol service. We're going to retrain a lot of the city departments uh, with Safe Night LLC to make sure that they're still getting that training and education that they need to work hand in hand with our businesses. Two things I'm excited about as well. We launched a holiday sober rides program uh, with Lyft. So we're actually giving out discount codes for people to get a safe ride home. Uh, we've got over 20 participating businesses in that. Uh, we also are doing a longitudinal research study, hopefully, uh, with a lot of our level one trauma centers in Dallas or so hospitals that intake people who are victims of drunk driving or sexual assault. We want to know that the programs and initiatives that we're rolling out are having an impact and reducing harm across the city, especially at night when most of those patients aren't coming in. So there's a public health outcome here that I think is hugely important that we also don't want to gloss over uh, that this is actually going to be something that that changes lives for people, that ensures that every night out that they have is a great night out, is a safe one, uh, and that they get home safely. But for now, we're really looking at trying to grow our membership. Um, that's one of our, our biggest asks of folks right now is connecting us to, to listeners like, like yours and, and others who are interested in the nighttime economy who, you know, they could be an aficionado, they could be a, an operator. We're all welcoming and we'll take all the volunteers that we can get. So that's a big priority for us going into the new year. Uh, we're still just trying to work on What we do well, I would think, you know, our communication, our advocacy, when the city of Dallas does hire its nighttime economy manager, we will be side by side with that person. We've been trying to get an economic impact study commissioned to study the 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. That would kind of be our roadmap here in Dallas of like where our opportunities and gaps are uh, with and when we get to that point. We'll continue to make you aware and make many of our uh, followers aware on our social media at 24 hour Dallas.
0: Yeah, and I think it's exciting that the work that you've done has encouraged the city to look for a nighttime manager because I think that that is really, you know, in so many communities, and I I just saw an article the other day here in Madison, Wisconsin, that, you know, we don't have somebody who at the city level is overseeing arts and culture. And it's like, what? Really? (laughs) It's like, I mean, and so if communities can identify that arts and culture is... Clearly an economic driver. The nighttime economy, clearly an economic driver. Mm-hmm. It behooves our municipalities to have somebody who that's their job 24-7. That that's what they wake up every morning thinking about, just like you do. Right. But somebody that is affiliated very closely with the city and has a seat there and is at every top-level staff meeting mm-hmm. advocating for the nighttime economy. I, I think that it's the one thing that really separates the really truly successful destinations from those that are merely playing in the sandbox is when they've got a great nighttime economy. It inspires people to spend more nights in that destination because there's something to do after six o'clock.
1: Fully agree. It's a massive competitive advantage that I think Dallas has over its suburbs. I think even places like Madison and, and hubs in the in the Midwest it's going to be their competitive advantage too. We just yeah. watched one of the best FIFA world cup finals in the world's history uh, this past weekend. And when Dallas hosts it in 2026 and other cities across the U S host it, we're going to have international guests uh, who wanted to know exactly what there is to do because they're used to a, a post midnight lifestyle. And we don't want to be closed off. We want to make yeah. sure that they have a great experience and, and come visit the U S and, further enhance our economy and our our standing in the world. So uh, those are great opportunities coming up I'm looking forward to. I'm glad that uh, organizations like the DMOU is having these conversations. It's a huge help. And I look forward to and welcome anybody getting in touch with us, 24HourDallas.org. There's a contact us tab on our website, or you can email me personally, B-R-Y-A-N, Brian, at 24HourDallas.org. Absolutely. That's great. Well, congratulations for all the work that you're doing. And
0: we can't let you go before we do the bonus round question. So it really is connected with 24-Hour Dallas. You had never worked, you say, in the service industry. But while you were starting your own company at the same time serving as a board member of 24-Hour Dallas, you thought it would be fun to get a hands-on experience. So you became a server and then a bartender. Mm -hmm. So tell us how your experience on the provider side of a 24-hour economy informs your work at 24-hour Dallas
1: no thank you I I love this question and and the bonus round yeah I was a lifeguard in high school so I didn't know you didn't really have the opportunity to do service industry stuff I was always political internships there we go some swimmers out here Uh, (laughs) and so yeah a restaurant opened up down the street from my house called Loro it's a part of high hospitality Aaron Franklin, if you're familiar with Franklin's Barbecue, he's one of the the big creative chefs and co-founders of, of the hospitality group. So I walked in there and, you know, I wanted to look work, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week on the weeknights and weekends when I had time and, you know, thought it'd be a great experience to just meet people from all different walks of life, to see what it's like in the service industry and and take care of uh, our, our guests and make sure that they have you know, a wonderful experience to learn everything from the back of the house, uh, all of our, you know, the, the supply chain process and, and talking to the chefs to what the front of the house is like and, and getting to have those conversations with people, just our, our guests who, uh, why did they, you know, come here? What made them, what are they doing in Dallas this weekend? And do they live here, are they visiting? And those were all very enlightening, informative conversations that really further ingrained in, in my mind, the uh, importance of having a lot of diversity and options available to people when they come visit because we want to be a destination and and many people you know whether it's for family or for leisure or work you know go out to these restaurants and uh, bring them good business so i enjoyed everybody i met there and i was really happy that now i can you know whenever i talk to people about the nighttime economy. I, I, I get to say, you know, this had a direct impact on my paycheck from time to time. If it was strong, if it wasn't, huh? things happening around the restaurant that impacted inside the restaurant from a you know public safety standpoint. Like we noticed those things, and we you know want to continue to put our best foot forward. So I appreciated the uh, opportunity and ended up you know moving on. And now we're doing this full time. So it's great yeah. to go from part time to nearly full time now and make it my job. That's really great. Brian, what you're doing with 24-Hour
0: Dallas is absolutely inspirational. I sincerely hope that we will see you in Dallas for Destinations International's annual convention in July. And I don't know if they've reached out to you, but uh, I think you ought to be on the agenda, because this is a story that I think has amazing opportunities for other destinations, other communities to dive in and uh, really seize hold of the nighttime economy.
1: That'd be great. I look forward to it and and meeting you, Bill. All right.
0: Thanks for having me. All right. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and your peers. This is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Destinations International. 2023 Summit season is just around the corner. And first up is the Marketing and Communications Summit, the preeminent gathering place of marketing, communications, and PR professionals dedicated to helping destination organizations thrive. It's the Marketing and Communications Summit, February 13, 14, and 15 in Norfolk, Virginia. For more information and to register, go to destinationsinternational.com upcoming hyphen events. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News position papers on board diversity and the new model for destination development, the book Destination Leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of over a 100 episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z dot com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.